0: step now, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5. This passage will function as a real nice capstone to what we've been looking at and take us even further in our understanding of where and how change needs to take place in our marriages. Verse 13 You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love The entire law is summed up in a single command Love your neighbor as yourself If you keep on biting and devouring each other Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other Now let's, let's start with the warning This passage is a warning and a call Let's Let's look at the warning Verse 15 If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. Now here's the theology behind that warning. God knows full well that he has placed marriage, the world's most comprehensive relationship, right in the middle of sanctification the world's most important incomplete process now you and I would tend to think wouldn't have been easier if he had gotten us sanctified first right if I could marry a fully sanctified wife and God would throw in self parenting children that would be cool (laughs) now why am I oriented that way Because I'm oriented to my kingdom. And I want my kingdom to be a kingdom of comfort, pleasure, ease, predictability. Now God has put you in this relationship called marriage, messy as it is. Now think about this. What's a biblical view of marriage? Let me give it to you. It's a flawed person, married to a flawed person, in a fallen world. Are you encouraged yet? But with a faithful God. So God knows that you married a sinner. Maybe you were surprised, but he wasn't. And and he knew that that would create messiness and discouragement and disappointment and frustration in your marriage. He knew that very well. Can I say this to you? Oh, this is going to bug some of you. That was part of the plan. Because he intends for marriage to be a principal tool of what? Sanctification. That's why he put it smack dab in the middle of this process of sanctification. That means husband... That God wants you, He has designed, ordained, and positioned you to exercise influence in the life of your wife. Influence unto godliness. Influence unto holiness. Influence unto change. That's your job. Wives, God has positioned you sovereignly to exercise redemptive influence in the heart and life of your husband. You are meant to be, by God's design, an agent of His growth, an agent of His holiness, an agent of sanctification. So what that means is, it's impossible for you not to be influential in the life of your husband and wife in some way. Because that's the plan this powerfully influential relationship is meant to be a means unto an end now stay with me because this is important to get what we do is we make the means the end the means is marriage the end is sanctification We make the means, marriage, the end. And so we go into marriage and we don't have any bigger purpose than what? Marital happiness. And the minute a husband goes in for marital happiness and a wife goes in for marital happiness, what do you end up with? Marital unhappiness. Because it doesn't work. Because you will never have this lady who who was raised in Iowa and this man who was raised in New York City who by God's sovereign plan have finally bumped into one another and grown an attraction and now got married. They will never ever come into that marriage with a unified dream of what that marital happiness is supposed to look like. And when they make the means the end, they will always end up with all kinds of conflict in the relationship. It just makes sense. You have to understand this. You have to understand my marriage is God's tool of giving us something dramatically better than marital happiness. And so God is willing for you to go through the difficulties and discouragements and frustrations of building a unified relationship because through that process, He is doing something wonderful in you. He's forming you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the principle. In your marriage... God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. In your marriage, God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Who enters marriage saying, honey, what, we, what needs to happen is we need to have a lot of interpersonal difficulty that exposes our hearts so that we would grow more in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, wouldn't that be wonderful, dear? No one says that. Because we tend to make the means the end. Now, I've got to take this a step further why this difficult means. Why can't sanctification just be easy? Just make us holy. Why Why does it have to be those discouraging moments? You know when you've gone to bed discouraged and you think, are we ever going to get it right? We were just going to the grocery store. We're not supposed to end up throwing hamburger at one another. Or we just... It was a family vacation. That was the most chaotic vacation we've ever had in our lives. I never want to take a vacation ever again. Don't say vacation to me. You say vacation to me, I'm going to run out of the room screaming. Or we we just went out to look for paint. Luella and I, the last house that we bought, uh... We had painters come in and paint the whole interior white so we could have a clear palette. And we were excited about choosing paint. Oh, my goodness. We'll walk into the paint department at Home Depot. I walk right to a paint chip and say, this is one. Luella says, Oh, this is great. They must have 15,000 shades of color. I had an immediate nervous breakdown. And she just started pulling them out. She said, oh, this one's nice, and this one's nice. This one would go, this one, this one, this one. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm just going to walk around and look when you've come up with the paint that you think is the the right paint call me on my cell phone she called me three weeks later I was so irritated It's paint why why do I have to go through that God knows how flawed we are If he loved us, he would make us holy and he would make one color of paint. (laughs) Here's why true righteousness only ever begins when you come to the end of yourself. True righteousness only ever begins. When you come to the end of yourself, that's where God is trying to drive you. He's trying to drive you to give up on your kingdom and to give up on your glory and to give up on your righteousness and to give up on your wisdom and give up on your self-centeredness. He's driving you to the end of yourself. So that you would begin to take up a better kingdom with better purposes that produce peace and love and joy and gentleness and patience. You see, He knows. Are you ready for this? You are actually smack dab in the way of what you say you want. You're in the way of it. And so he's got to work on you. Marriage is a means to an end. Not an end of itself. Now, what does this have to do with verse 15? Verse 15 is about influence. It's about influence. And what, what Paul is saying is you've got to understand you are always influential in the life of your husband, in the life of your wife, in the life of any person you have a relationship with because God has designed you to be influential. You will all either be influential for His purpose... That positive influence of love and peace and gentleness and patience and, and tender correction and wisdom or you will be influential in a different way. That, that low-grade anger and impatience, and negativity and criticism that is so much a part of our relationships. And here's what he says. If you keep on biting or devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Here's what he's saying. There will be some lasting legacy that you will produce from your influence in the life of your husband or the life of your wife. You will have some kind of harvest. You will have some kind of legacy. Notice what he says here. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or what will be destroyed. Say it. You. He doesn't say the relationship. He says you. You can crush the hope of another person. You can damage their faith. You can destroy their courage. You can tempt them to do and say things that they should not be tempted to do and say. You are exercising powerful spiritual influence every day of your marriage. It's inescapably true. Now let me make this very practical. Think of how many years you've been married. What's the legacy that you're Behavior toward your spouse has produced. Let me ask you this question. Are you closer than you've ever been? Is there a sweeter, tender, more tender love than you've ever known? Is there more unity and peace than you've ever known? Has this relationship grown Sweeter and more loving and more gentle and more patient and kinder with every passing year? Is that what your influence has produced? Do you look at your husband, wife, and say, because of this marriage, this man is a more godly man? Husband, do you look at your wife and say, because of this marriage, this woman is more a woman of faith than she was? Or, do you actually have less tenderness, less unity, less warmth, less gentleness? Are you now perhaps... Saying and doing things to one another that you wouldn't have considered to say or to do in courtship. Husbands, do you do rude things that are actually offensive? Because you've now taken your life for granted. Wives, are you critical, bitter, demanding in ways? that you would have never been in courtship. You see, if you're going to be honest about this passage, you have to examine your legacy. Because this passage is saying you will produce something. It's impossible. If you're a husband, it's impossible for you not to have had powerful influence on your wife. If you're a wife, it's impossible for you not to have had powerful influence on your husband. What is the harvest of that influence? What's the legacy? Stop right now. I'm asking you to do this and answer that question. Closer, more tender, kinder, more serving, more loving, more gracious. have you settled for marital detente oh you're not eating one another up but it's more cold war than it is the warmth of relationship well let's look at 13 again that's the warning here's the call You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now what Paul is actually doing here is he's contrasting two lifestyles. For our purposes we could say two relational or two marital lifestyles. One is characterized by indulging the sinful nature. Indulging the desires of the flesh. Now think about this. When I indulge something, what do I do? I feed it. If I'm indulging my appetite and I'm at the local Chinese buffet, I'm not having one plate. No, it's 37 plates later that I'm saying, I think there are a few things on the buffet that I haven't eaten yet. Uh, I'm going wherever my, my appetite leads me. And, and so that, that is the kingdom of self. It's focused on my desires, my wants, my needs. And I actually go wherever those desires, wherever those feelings, wherever those needs lead me. I live under the Lordship, if I could say this, of my desires. I indulge them, I feed them. Now if you're there, then the only way possible for you to relate to the person you're living with is manipulation. Because your, your goal then is to, is to get that person to deliver to you what you want. Sometimes you may threaten them. Sometimes you may reward them Sometimes you may compliment them Sometimes you may serve them But you're doing all of that So that person will deliver to you The things that you say you want Because your definition of life is The good life is the life where I get what I want Now you know that's in your home I'll tell you why That's why one of your children can open the refrigerator that's full And say there's nothing to eat Why would they say that? Because the particular thing they want is not in the refrigerator. They're not looking at the refrigerator as an act of worship and say, how could it be that God would love us as much that he would bestow on us the bounty of the edible material that's in this refrigerator? Thank you, Jesus, for this bounty. No, it's my kingdom. And so I go to my mom and say, how come when you go to the grocery store you never buy anything I like or this is why someone usually not a man will stand before a closet and say I don't have a thing to wear the husband realizes that two weeks ago you said when you go to Target, pick up some more hangers. I don't have enough hangers. He remembers that because the particular thing that you have in your mind that would adorn your beauty doesn't happen to be in the closet. So, you, so you know this stuff exists, and and so it's very very tempting because this is what sin does to me. It's very very tempting for me. To go where my desires lead me. To go where my feelings lead me. To go where my needs lead me. To be ruled by my wants, my needs, my feelings. That's the kingdom of self. Now it's contrasted by this other kingdom. Look again in your Bibles because the words here are very, very important. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a central nature. Rather, rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is, this is incredible. The way that... Paul talks about the kingdom of God I'm convinced this is a kingdom passage is to talk about love think about this the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love what is the centerpiece event of the kingdom of God say it the cross of Jesus Christ a awesome sacrifice of love You do not understand the kingdom of God unless you understand, in its essence, it's a kingdom of powerful, perseverant, bountiful, transforming love. And so Paul says something here that's quite radical. He says, The entire law is summarized in a single command. Now, think about this. If you were writing and you had written the entire law is summarized in a single command, what would you have written next? I would have tended to write, Love God above all else. But that's not what he writes. He says the entire law is summarized in a single command. Here it is Love your neighbor as yourself. How does that summarize all that God has called me to? Here it is. It's only the people who love God above all else who will ever love their neighbor as their self. My problem isn't that I don't love you enough. You ready for this? My problem is I don't love God enough. And because I don't love God enough, I don't love you enough. I am deeply persuaded the crisis in marriage is not a crisis of spousal love. It's a crisis of a lack of love for God. Because I love my purposes. I love myself. I love my little joys and happiness. Then I love Him and the purposes of His kingdom. That's why you fix marriages vertically before you fix them horizontally. If I am attempting to be king, I'm attempting to be king. Hear this, this hurts. I'm attempting to be king. I lack love for the king. And so I don't find joy in loving my spouse. I find joy in being loved by my spouse. I don't get up in the morning and say, Lord, help me to find every way I can, every opportunity that you would provide to lay down my life for my husband or my wife. I don't say, I find no greater joy in my life than when I have been an instrument of love in your hands. I find greater joy in a new car that won't stay new very long than I have in being an agent of divine love. And I will quickly get unloving when some, somebody stands in the way. Now, what is the heart of the kingdom of self in terms of relationship? It's driven by manipulation. It's driven by trying to get you to serve my kingdom. What's the heart of the kingdom of God? It's driven by ministry. I want to be part of this awesome thing that God is doing in your life. I love to serve you. I love to give to you. I love to sacrifice for you. I find that an honor and a dignity and a glory. Nothing makes me happier than when I've been able to sacrifice for your good. That's the kingdom of God. You only have peace when you love the King more than you love yourself. You will only have unity when you love His purpose more than you love yours. Let's pray again. Thank you again, Lord, for these truths that we have been considering how significant they are. And how they begin to expose the struggles of our hearts. But I pray that we would love you as our King more than we would love being a King. And may that bring new and sweeter unity and love and understanding in our marriages. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh,